And so we want to go straight to the Word of God. And if you please could come with me to uh, Isaiah chapter 58. Isaiah chapter 58. And we'll just read this together. <clears throat> As we continue in our study on entitled, Lord, Teach Us to Pray, uh, I believe this is part seven, uh, our subject this morning is fasting. And so this is the classic chapter on fasting. We'll read it and then we'll move on from that. We may come back to it later mention some things, but <clears throat> just to set the scene. <clears throat> so Isaiah chapter 58, verse 1. Cry aloud and spare not. <clears throat> Excuse me. Lift up your voice like a trumpet and tell my people their transgression and the house of Jacob their sins. And yet they seek me daily and delight to know my ways as a nation that did righteousness and did not forsake the ordinance of their God. They ask of me the ordinances of justice. This is kind of almost written, not in a sarcastic way, but in an ironic way. Because the, they were not doing these things, as we'll see in a moment or two. They ask of me the ordinances of justice. They take delight in approaching God. Why have we fasted, they say, and you have not seen? And why have we afflicted our souls and you take no notice? Now they had been doing that. They had been fasting. They had been praying, but they've been praying amiss. They've been doing it for show. It was all external. There's nothing really of humility within it, truly. And so God rebukes them for this in a moment. In fact, in the day of your fast, you find pleasure and exploit all your labors. Indeed, you fast for strife and debate and to strike with the fist of wickedness. You will not fast as you do this day, to make your voice heard on high. Is it a fast that I have chosen? A man for a day to afflict his soul? Is it to bow down his head like a bulrush? And to spread out sackcloth and ashes? Why you call this a fast? An acceptable day to the Lord. Would you call this a fast? An acceptable day to the Lord. Is not the fast that I have chosen? To loose the bands of wickedness? To undo the heavy burdens? To let the oppressed go free? And that you break every yoke? Is it not to share your bread with the hungry? And that, you find your, and that you bring to your house the poor who are cast out? When you see the naked, that you cover him? And not hide yourself from your, own, from your own flesh? When your light shall break forth like the morning, your healing. Then your light shall break forth like the morning. Your healing shall bring forth speedily. And your righteousness shall go before you. The glory of the Lord shall be your rear guard. Then you shall call, the Lord will answer. You shall cry, and he will say, Here I am. If you take away the yoke from your midst, the pointing of the finger and speak in wickedness, if you extend your soul to the hungry and satisfy the afflicted soul, then your light shall dawn in the darkness, and your darkness shall be as the noonday. The Lord will guide you continually and satisfy your soul in drought and strengthen your bones. You shall be like a watered garden and like a spring of water whose waters do not fail. Those from among you shall build the old waste places. You shall rise up, raise up the foundations of many generations. And you shall be called the repairer of the breach, the restorer of streets to dwell in. If you turn your foot uh, from the Sabbath, if you turn away your foot from the Sabbath, from doing your pleasure on my holy day, and call the Sabbath a delight, 
the holy day of the Lord honorable, and shall honor him, not doing your own ways, nor finding your own pleasure, nor speaking your own words. Then you shall delight yourself in the Lord, and I will cause you to ride on the high hills of the earth, and feed you with the heritage of Jacob your father. The mouth of the Lord has spoken. So you can see from that, uh, that the fasting that the nation here was undertaking was being done for completely the wrong reasons, uh, and God rebuked them for that. And he says, now this is a true fast. This is what you're to fast for. This is how you're supposed to do it. And then he reveals to unloose the bands of wickedness and actually to feed your neighbor and to clothe your neighbor and all those good things. And so with that really as a backdrop, uh, let me say that fasting is almost a lost discipline uh, among Christians, at least in the Western world. And the truth is, that most Christians in the Western world has never even fasted one single day. Never fasted for spiritual reasons. Now, of course, you do fast actually every day. You fast when you sleep at night, don't you? That's why in the morning you have, your, you have broken your fast, so it's your break, your break fast. But for spiritual reasons, generally, it doesn't happen. And that's probably because it really isn't taught. It's not encouraged. Uh, most pulpits do not preach fasting anymore. Nearly all world religions fast. Uh, Judaism in the Bible especially fasted twice a week. Uh, even today, Islam, a great exponent of uh, Ramadan, the month of Ramadan, where they would fast uh, from uh, sun up to sundown for a month. Uh, but when it comes to Christianity, it seems like at least again in the Western world, it is something that uh, has long since been uh, discontinued, could we say. Now some may protest and say, well, was that just not an Old Testament uh, under the law deal? Was not that something God required from the Jews under the law? Uh, and when you come into the New Testament, Jesus didn't... Uh, uh, expressly and ex ex explicitly demand it as it was in the Old Testament. Yet the fact is that Jesus not only implicitly suggested it, but he highly commended it. And of course, his only proviso was against it, was that, uh, that if he did it like the Pharisees and the scribes did it, to be seen of men, to be something to be shown, for everybody to know and to disfigure your face and to wear sackcloth and ashes and to run about looking as if, oh dear, he's very holy because he's fasting. Uh, because he says then they have the reward when they do that. And so other than that, uh, Jesus certainly commended it and recommended it. Now in this message this morning, I, I want to take a few moments to point out some of the truths of fasting, both from the Old Testament and from the New Testament. And also to give you some practical advice on the physical side of it because the physical side of it, of course, obviously comes into play. And I want to show you why and when and how uh, that we should fast. Now, your physical appetite for food is one of the most primal, overpowering desires that you have got within your flesh. The fact that we must eat to live means that it's put there for a reason. God gave us all an appetite. Some of us have maybe more healthier appetites than others. Some of us have bigger appetites than others. <clears throat> but nevertheless, this is 
a tremendously strong drive that we've got within it. And you, you only truly realize that when you begin to fast. It's only when you begin to fast that you see how much the drive to eat is within you. Because we do it almost on autopilot. Don't we? we eat it all the time. We don't even think about it, mostly. But actually, when you decide to stop eating for a, a period of time, even a relatively short period of time, you soon begin to find out that that drive is really there. And suddenly, the desire to eat sometimes almost overwhelms you. Now, to suppress this appetite for food for a spiritual reason is something that even the master himself sought to undertake and to conquer. And he obviously, very obviously did that in that 40-day fast in the wilderness. And so why fast? Why should we fast? Well, fasting reveals to God and to yourself your meaning business, that you're kind of desperate that you actually want to hear from heaven. And in fact, you're so desperate to hear from heaven. You so need an answer. You so desire to know the will and purpose of God that you're willing, at least temporarily, to lay aside your necessary food to do that. Jesus said, man shall not live by bread alone but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Now remember when Jesus said this. He wasn't speaking in a vacuum here. Jesus said those words just after he had completed a 40-day fast in the wilderness. It was important to him. Now he always prayed with the Father. In fact, we did a whole series uh, about Jesus' disciples and how that they, when they watched him praying, they, they, they really, really were impressed and attracted to how he prayed. And they said, Lord, teach us to pray. And this is where this study is coming from. So he always did that. But there were those times, and this was one of them that was recorded for us, where he took an extended period of time to couple fasting with prayer. And when you couple fasting with prayer, something happens. Something most definitely happens to us. And so, do we want to get that answer? Do we want to know the purpose of God? Do we want that guidance? Do we want that victory? Do we want that breakthrough bad enough that we'll stop eating for a while? Job said, in Job 23 and 12, he said, I have esteemed the words of his mouth more than my necessary food. God said in Joel 2.12, turn to me with all your heart and with fastings. Now, of course, fasting doesn't change God. It changes us. God's unchangeable. And fasting may not necessarily, as how we think, move God, but it moves us. And sometimes God is waiting to see us move before he acts. It's all by his grace anyway. We don't deserve it. We're not earning it. But it's showing God that heartfelt desire that we have got to know him 
and to see his works in our lives. Now in fasting, I see a parallel between what happens to the, the body and what happens to the spirit and soul. Uh, a parallel between what happens to the outer man and what happens to the inner man. Firstly, that intense hunger that we feel in our physical appetite should reflect that intense hunger we feel for a spiritual appetite. Secondly, in a fast, and I don't mean just missing a meal, but I mean in particularly if, if the fast is a little bit protracted, a little bit longer than perhaps just missing a meal or missing a lunchtime or a breakfast, maybe in several days. And what you find is, is the body begins to get rid of excess waste, fat, perhaps even maybe toxins. I'm not too sure of the physical side of that as far as that's concerned. There's lots of uh, ads on TV today, but detoxing. Well, maybe this is the best detox regiment, regime, I should say, there is. It won't cost you a thing, but you're not doing it for that. You're doing it for a spiritual reason. These are just side effects, spin-offs, could you say. And so, as the body begins to get rid of excess waste and fat, and so the spirit man should be getting rid of the, the excesses, the sins which so doth easily beset us, it says in Hebrews. The little foxes that spoils the vines, the habits, the bad attitudes, all of that stuff. And the longer you fast, the more of that's brought to your attention on a personal level. Uh, for God wants us to deal with those issues. And then thirdly, the disciplining of the outer man also helps to maintain the discipline of the inner man. The Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians 9 and 27 talks something about that. He says, I keep under my body. In other words, he said, I watch my appetites. I watch the excesses. I keep it under. I discipline it because it's the temple of the Holy Spirit for a start. He says, lest I myself should be disqualified after preaching about it. So, so that would imply then that Paul was very concerned about our physical desires and our appetite. There are many more appetites than food we've got. So he says, keep it under. Discipline it. Keep it in check. That'll help you spiritually. That's what he's saying. When do we fast? Well, whenever we need more power in our lives. Because often we feel very, very weak as Christians. We need more power. We need more of the Spirit's power to help us. and We need direction, perhaps, or, or vision, or even fresh vision, or even vision to be renewed. We need to fast whenever we need revelation from God. Or we need revival, uh, perhaps even a personal revival, or national revival. Can you imagine, for instance, can you imagine if, if, the, if the leaders of the government in the UK, just say Gordon Brown and David Cameron and Nick Clegg, the three national leaders, just say they come outside 10 Downing Street on Monday morning and they said to the whole nation, we are so sorry. 
We have misled, we have lied, we have mistreated, we have been ambitious for ourselves, we have been selfish, but from now on we apologize, we're going to turn over a new sheet. And from this day, for the next seven days, we three are going to fast and we're going to seek God and we're going to ask for the whole nation to take seven days off work and get on their face before Almighty God and fast and repent before God. Let me tell you, Great Britain would be great again. God would hear that prayer and God would answer that prayer and our nation would be revolutionized. But they're not going to do it, are they? No, they're not going to do that. You wonder, does someone even believe in God? We need to fast whenever we're facing spiritual conflict. Whenever we're in the heat of the battle spiritually. Or whenever we're in chastened. Because whom God loves, He chastens. You love your children, don't you? You chasten them. You discipline them. Because you want them to be good citizens. Well, God chastens and disciplines his children because he wants the best for us. So under those times, we need to fast. Fasting is a very necessary part of humbling ourselves and showing utter need of God's intervention. Can I just, uh, you don't need to turn to this, can I just read a portion from the book of Ezra? In Ezra 8, 24, Sorry, in Ezra 8, 21, I should say, 21. Then I proclaimed a fast there at the river of Ahava, that we might humble ourselves before our God and seek from him the right way for us and our little ones and all our possessions. For I was ashamed to request of the king an escort of soldiers and horsemen to help us against the enemy on the road because we had spoken to the king saying, the hand of our God is upon all those for good who seek him, but his power and his wrath are against all those who forsake him. So we fasted and entreated our God for this and he answered our prayer. It's a humbling It's saying, God, I can't do this without you. God, I I can't make it without you. I, I desperately, desperately need you in my life. God loves those prayers. God answers those prayers. You know, from time to time, and it should be every day in my life, but in my humanity, I forget you know, I've been preaching 30 plus years. I know how to do it. I've had plenty of practice. I've done it a million times. Well, maybe not a million, but thousands of times. But do you know what? I find myself increasingly praying, God, help me. Because I really can't do this without you. I, I can do it mechanically, and I can say the words, and I can read it, and I can say it, but it won't mean a thing. It will not penetrate the hearts. It will not reach those it's meant to reach. Unless God anoints it, unless God refreshes it, unless God touches it. And I have to pray that for my life. And I find increasingly, I cry unto God and say, God, help me to do this. Help me to to be the 
preacher, the teacher that you want me to be and not to miss the mark? Because after a long time, and especially after 30 years in the same place, you can become stale. You really can. You can miss the mark on it. Or you can get into a, a way of doing things and, and, and you lose the freshness. And so I ask God to challenge me and to help me and to anoint me to do it. And fasting helps you to do that. Isn't it interesting that Jesus began his public ministry after 40 days of fasting? Did you ever think about that? It was only after 40 days that he came out of the wilderness in the power of the Spirit. And he ended, remember, into the synagogue. He said, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me. He's anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. All hell broke loose in church that day. Now, I'm not saying that if you go into public ministry that you should go and do 40 days fast first. Might be a bad idea, but that's not setting a trend, by the way. Jesus did that, but I found it interesting that he did that. He also said that when he would leave the earth, that his disciples would fast also. You know, the, the, his enemies who are always trying to pick points and, and twist his words, and they, they came to him and they said, you know, the disciples of John the Baptist, you know, they, they fast and pray. So the emphasis, they, they fast and they pray. Why aren't your disciples fasting? And Jesus says, well, can the bride fast when she's with the bridegroom? Not a time for fasting when the bride's with the bridegroom, but there'll come a time when the bridegroom won't be here, he said. Then my disciples will fast. And so that's implying that when he went, and they did fast, and we're to fast too, because we're his disciples, aren't we? In fact, Jesus stated that there are certain things that will not happen unless there's fasting involved. I know you know the story, but let's just read this together. Mark chapter 9. Mark chapter 9. Verse 14. And when he came to the disciples, he saw a great multitude around them and scribes disputing with them. Notice this. And when he came to the disciples. So obviously he was somewhere else at this point. And he's catching up with them now. So there's a great multitude around them and the scribes disputing with them. And immediately when they saw him, all the people were greatly amazed and running to him, greeted him. And he asked the scribes, what are you discussing with them? And one of the crowd answered and said, teacher, I brought you my son who has a mute spirit. Whenever it seizes him, it throws him down and he foams at the mouth and he gnashes his teeth and he becomes rigid. So I spoke to your disciples that they should cast it out, but they could not. He answered and said, O faithless generation, how long shall I be with you? How long shall I bear with you? Bring him to me. And then they brought him to him. 
And when he saw him, immediately the spirit convulsed him. And he fell on the ground and wallowed, foaming at the mouth. And so he asked his father, how long has this been happening to him? He said, from childhood. And often he has thrown him both into the fire and into the water to destroy him. But if you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. Jesus said to him, if you can believe, all things are possible to him who believes. And immediately the father of the child cried out and said with tears, Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. What a powerful prayer that was. Very short, but short, but very honest prayer, isn't it? I think we need to pray that prayer a lot of times. Lord, I believe, but help my unbelief. When Jesus saw that the people came running together, he rebuked the unclean spirit, saying to it, Deaf and dumb spirit, I command you, come out of him, enter him no more. Then the spirit cried out and convulsed him greatly and came out of him. And he became as one dead, so that many said, He is dead. But Jesus took him by the hand and lifted him up, and he arose. And when, the disciple, and when he had come into the house, his disciples asked him privately, Why could not we cast it out? And so he said to them, This kind can come out by nothing but prayer and fasting. Now if nothing else, that implies that Jesus was prayed up and fasted up at that point. I never thought of this till last night when I was reading that again for the umpteenth time. That's why I emphasized at the start, he came on to them. It seemed to be at this moment he was separated from them. Maybe, doesn't say, but maybe, just maybe, he had spent a little bit of time away from them, seeking the Father in prayer and fasting. Because when he came on the spot, he was ready. He didn't say, now, you know, this kind's prayer and fasting, so I'll have to go away for three days first and then deal with this. He dealt with it immediately. He said, well, he's the son of God, but he was in his humanity. Do you remember the crowd in Mark 8 who followed Jesus for three days? By the time the three days was up, they must have been pretty hungry. The disciples said, send them away. Because <laughs> they were pretty hungry by that time. <laughs> send them away. We haven't got enough food to feed all this crowd. But you know, Jesus was such an engaging, magnetic figure. His teaching was so revolutionary. His miracles were so wonderful that people didn't care about eating at that, but they just wanted to be around him. Disciples been around him a lot longer. They did care. They were hungry. <laughs> they weren't so much caring about the people. They're caring about themselves. Send them away. And they're thinking, we're starving too. Send them away. You know, there's a couple of verses in Matthew chapter 6 that tells us how not to fast. Perhaps we should read that together too. Verse 16. Moreover, when you fast... Not if you fast, but when you fast. Do not be like the hypocrites with a sad countenance, for they disfigure their faces that they may appear to men to be fasting. Assuredly, I say to you, they have their reward. The praise of men, that is. But you, when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face, 
so that you do not appear to men to be fasting, but to your Father who is in the secret place. Your Father who sees in secret will reward you openly. Did you notice that Clifford, when he announced last Sunday about 21 days of prayer and fasting, you notice he didn't put a sheet out for that and say, get your name down. Because we don't know who is and who isn't. But God knows. He sees in secret, doesn't he? Now the only thing is, and I have to just throw this in, the only thing is that if it's a long protracted fast, I'm not saying any of you are going to do that or are about to do that, but if it's a long protracted fast, which you know I've done in the past, then there comes a point where you will have a lot of weight loss. Now, I've had a lot of weight loss recently, but it wasn't because of fasting. But I remember the last time I did a long protracted fast, people were getting worried about me. Because for a while you don't look the best because you get start to really, really lose a lot of weight. Maybe that's why Jesus went into the wilderness. It's very, very hard if you, if you know, if, you, if you're in the public eye to do that, other than take a sabbatical and go away somewhere. But that, maybe that's why Jesus went into the wilderness so he didn't appear on the men to fast. If, if you're a preacher and you're a pastor, you, you can't just clear off and, and, well, maybe I could, maybe you'd give me permission someday to do that, would you? That'd be all right. Huh? I mean, I could go maybe to the south of France and, and fast there or Hawaii or somewhere like that. No, no I don't think so. Bally Castle, I think, as far as I'd get or something like that. <laughs> anyway. Paul began fasting on the day of his conversion. Three days and three nights he fasted. In fact, he took no water as well. I wouldn't recommend that you would go any longer in three days without water. Uh, but evidently, Paul did. In fact, he said in 2 Corinthians 11, 27, he talks about all the things he had gone through on behalf of Christ, the sufferings for Christ's sake. And he talks about in fastings often. And then so that we don't get mixed up in this, he says, and in hungering and thirsting. The difference in those two. The fasting was voluntarily not eating food. The hungering and thirsting was, I haven't any food to eat. So I have no choice. There was times the Apostle Paul had nothing to eat. He hungered and he thirsted. But there's other times when he had plenty to eat. He said, no, I'm going to spend this day or this whatever it was and I'm going to fast. So it seemed to be it was very much a part of his life. And fastings often, he said. Do you remember in Acts 27, <clears throat> excuse me, when he was in the midst of that tremendous storm? Uh, and Eurotlidon, that was the storm it was called. In fact, if you come with me to Acts chapter 27. This is when he was on that journey to Rome.
In fact, if you read verse 9, first of all, now when Paul had already warned him, uh, he was about to warn him here, now when much time had been spent in sailing was now dangerous because the fast was already over. Uh, this would have been a set fast, obviously, a calendar fast. Paul advised him, saying, Men, I perceive that this voyage will end with disaster and much loss, not only of the cargo and ship, but also of our lives. Nevertheless, the centurion was more persuaded by the helmsman, owner of the ship, than by the things spoken by Paul. Because the harbor was not suitable to enter in, the majority advised to set sail there also. If by any means they could reach Phoenix, a harbor of Crete, opening toward the southwest, northwest, and winter there. When the south wind blew softly, supposing that we had attained their desire, putting out to sea, they sailed, they sailed close by Crete. But not long after, a tempestuous head wind arose called Eurocledon. So when the ship was caught and could not head into the wind, we let her drive. And running onto the shelter of an island called Clotta, we secured the skiff with difficulty. And then it goes on to say how... You know, they couldn't see the sun for days. It was just an awful, terrible storm. Uh, and, and Paul had realized, and he had warned, he says, this is really, we're heading into trouble here. But then it goes on here in verse 33. And as the day was about to dawn, Paul implored them all to take food. And so these guys who were non-Christian, but who were frightened out of their wits, many of them hardened sailors. They're so desperate, they're fasting. But when the day was about to dawn, Paul implored them all to take food, saying, Today is the 14th day you have waited and continued without food and eaten nothing. Therefore, I urge you to take nourishment, for this is for your survival. Since not a hair will fall from the head of any of you. And when he had said these things, he took bread and gave thanks to God in the presence of them all. When he had broken it, he began to eat. And so they were all encouraged and also took food themselves. And all of them, by the way, all of them got safely to land. You know, the Apostle Paul, when he fasted and he prayed aboard that ship, he fasted and he prayed to God gave him the answer. And the answer was that not one of them would die. The ship would be wrecked, but all of them would escape. And as soon as he got that answer, he said to the rest of them, you can stop your fasting now. We've got the answer. Now you need your strength. Now you need some food to survive this. And so Paul fasted under Difficult circumstances, he fasted under all kinds of uh, situations. And we see in the early church, in Acts 13, verses 2 and 3, we see there that the church was wanting to send out men into the mission field. And what did they do? They fasted and they prayed. And it says, when they had fasted and prayed, the Holy Ghost spoke and said, separate unto me Paul and Barnabas for the work thereunto I send them. When they fasted and prayed. You see, it was a normal thing for them to do. Actually, it is said the early church fasted twice a week. Wednesdays and Fridays up to about three o'clock in the afternoon. As well as special occasions and when they needed answers. 
Cornelius fasted and got his prayer answered. Cornelius was a Roman centurion. But he'd helped the Jews and helped to build a synagogue. But he's a man who was looking to find the one true and living God and he felt that Judaism had provided that, but there was a better way. But God saw that man's heart and he was seeking after God and he fasted and he prayed. And God sent a great vision to Peter. Remember he was in the roof of Simon the Tanner and how that sheep came down with all kinds of creepy crawlies and all kinds of animals that a Jew wasn't lawful to eat and God says, arise, slay and eat. And he says, not me, Lord, I couldn't eat that. <laughs> you know, I'm a Jew, I can't eat that. God did it three times. That which I have cleansed, call not on common. You know, this is going to be a mighty breakthrough. This is going to be actually the birthing of the Gentile church here. Because up to now, you know, it was just Jews. And that's as far as they ever thought it would be. Even though God had told them to be further than that, but they couldn't see past their own nationality that God was going to do a new thing. He was going to open the door to the Gentiles. And it was Cornelius who fasted and prayed. And God gave the answer. What an answer it was. Then, of course, Anna the prophetess. She was 84 years old. Now, I know, Mrs. Bloomfield, you're not quite there yet. But she's 84 years old. And it says she fasted and she prayed night and day. She's waiting to see the consolation of Israel. She wanted to see Messiah. <laughs> Aren't you glad God, God answered that prayer for that old dear? She's a woman of prayer, a woman of intercession, a woman of fasting. Now, sometimes fasting is the only thing that will bring victory. Remember the story of Esther. How that beautiful Jewess, how she became one of the queens in that land of captivity. And how that, that plot of Haman's who hated the Jews and hated Mordecai, her relative especially hated Mordecai and wanted to destroy them and hatched a plan behind their backs and to put the king in a tight spot in order to destroy Mordecai and all the Jews because they're spread throughout all the provinces. How it became known to Mordecai and he went to Esther and he says, Esther, God's given you a privileged position. You must go into the king and uncover this plot. She says, but if I just walk in and announce because I, I'm, you know, right now, you know, I, I just can't go in. I have to get an audience, I have to get permission because he had lots of wives. And if I go in and he doesn't put that scepter out towards me, I, I'm dead. He'll, he'll execute me. He says, well, that's okay, he says. You've come to the kingdom for such a time as this, but if you don't do it, that's all right. God will raise somebody else up. <laughs> but he says, you've come to the kingdom for such a time as this. God has got you in place in situ for this very moment. You know what she did? She said, Okay. I'll do it. But I'm going to fast first. 
And I'm going to ask all the maids to fast. Mordecai, I want you to get everybody to fast for me. And everybody fasted. And everybody prayed. And God gave the breakthrough, didn't he? And not only was that plot uncovered, not only was Mordecai saved, but the whole Jewish race was spared. Because a young woman said, I'll fast and pray, I'll do it. Even though it may cost me my life, but I'll do it. But notice that she fasted. Daniel fasted in Daniel chapter 9. He fasted. Daniel was given to fasting. But in special occasions, in those moments that required an answer, and he needed an answer desperately, there was a prophetic answer he needed. He was reading something and he just couldn't get it. He just couldn't put it together. He knew God was speaking, but he didn't know what God was saying. And when he looked at it, he thought, God, you're speaking. This is to do with my nation and your sins. I just don't understand what you're, what you're saying. And so he prayed and he fasted. And God sent the answer. Then God gave him visions, showed him things. And whenever we read the book of Revelation, we did that study, where did we start? We started in Daniel. We started with those very revelations, those visions that Daniel got that relates to us today. Here we are in 2010. And what Daniel has seen thousands of years ago relates to us today and beyond us until Jesus comes. But he fasted. He fasted. How do we fast? Let me give you some practical advice in fasting. Because I know that particularly if some of you maybe will feel led, maybe even not now, but maybe later on, you might feel led to, to go on a, a, a longer period of fasting. If you're just missing a meal, that's good but you don't need any particular advice on that. You just, you just miss a meal. You say, well, David, maybe I fancy doing a day or three days or seven days or 14 days or 21 days or 30 days, maybe even 40 days. Who knows? First of all, may I recommend that if you are on prescribed medication, that then, of course, you should be very careful and perhaps only do it after medical consultation. Some of these may be on a medication that you have to take every day and that you cannot take it without food because lots of medications would just tear the stomach out of you, wouldn't it, if you tried to take it without food? So that's, that's fine. That's understandable. However, if, provided you are reasonably fit and otherwise healthy and regardless of age, fasting is not only spiritually beneficial, but it's also physically beneficial. If it's simply missing a meal here and there, then there's nothing especially to concern you unless you're diabetic. And again, if you are diabetic, then obviously you need regular meals and there's times you're going to have to eat anyway because if you don't, you're in serious physical trouble. That's fine. We understand that too. 
If it's a short fast, say of one, two, or three days, say, David, you're beginning to speak a foreign language to me now. I'm trying to get my head around just missing breakfast. Now you're beginning to talk about one, two, or three days. Well, if it's just a short fast like that, then make sure you you drink plenty of of water. Uh, You need to do that. And particularly if, if you... If your job involves sweat, uh, if you're in a hot climate or you in a hot environment, then obviously you would be sweating, so you would be losing that water content and you need that, otherwise you would dehydrate. And so you need to keep hydrated, so make sure that you uh, drink uh, water. If perhaps you would be going for maybe up to seven days, uh, same rules apply. Uh, again, drink plenty. And uh, what you'd find, by the way, can I just say this, that and this is not an exact science, everybody's different, but generally speaking, the hunger pangs mostly leaves after four to seven days. Some may be a little bit longer, most people not any shorter, but the hunger pang, trust me, if you go on a long fast, the desire for food totally leaves you. You could serve it. You could make it. You could sit beside people eating a fry. It wouldn't bother you because the desire has gone. It does come back again. You'd be glad to hear, but it does. But initially, those first few days, you'll feel very hungry. But if, you per- if you're going for a longer fast, persevere through that. You'll get to the stage where those hunger pangs will go. Once in a while you may find a desire, but the hunger, that hunger will begin to desert you. If you're doing 10 to 14 days, then the same rules apply. However, by this time you might want to stop drinking tap water, maybe you don't drink it anyway, and maybe go on to bottled water because after a, a protracted period, water, particularly tap water, tastes foul. And I mean that. So you might want to take bottled water. Even after a long time, bottled water doesn't taste too pleasant either. Uh, And if you go any longer than that, maybe 30 days or even 40 day fast, if you go on a long one, then you might want to supplement that with some flavored water or lemon juice or something because the taste of water on its own is terrible. You say, I don't, I've never experienced that, David. I wouldn't know. Well, you might someday and then you'll, Believe me, it is awful. Uh, I'll tell you a funny thing. Last time I was on a big protracted fast, I got to the stage where I just fed up drinking just water, plain water, and then I decided it would take flavored water. And Fania here, my good friend, she decided that uh, she she had known about it, so she decided she'd help me out, and she'd get me some peach water, no flavored peach water. And she bought, I don't, money was it, was it 14 bottles she got me? It was a whole lot of bottles. Oh, it was a little bit. She came one day with a pile of bottles. And of course it was lovely. But every day, <laughs> I haven't drunk peach water since. <laughs> it put me off it for life. <laughs> but it was a big help at the time. So you might want to vary that a little bit, all right? But no smoothies. Because you might as well eat apples and oranges. You know what I mean? No, so no smoothies if you're going to do one of those. Just, just water and a little bit of flavored water. Just because of the... Let me tell you something. A long, long, long fast. You won't believe this unless you've done it. But you see that little piece of bread. 
that you take at Holy Communion. You wouldn't believe how salty that is. It, it, it's, it's poisoned with salt. And you never notice that until you haven't eaten for umpteen days and then suddenly you put that in your mouth and you want to spit it out again because it's salty. But anyway, that's just the physical side of things. Now, as I said earlier, particularly if it's a number of days, it's amazing how addicted to food that we really, really are. And how that the whole social side of it is such a big part of our lives, isn't it? I mean, everywhere. Now, if you're English this morning, forgive me for this, but this is the truth. English people drink tea and they say, do you want a cup of tea? You say, yes, well, you'll get a cup of tea. If you come into our houses here and you say, you want a cup of tea? Say, yes, you'll get sandwiches, you'll get the biscuit bar will be out, you know what you'll get. Because we don't like a cup of tea without something to it. We like a nibble with it, don't we? Uh, however, the social side, our life is so regulated and punctuated by, by eat, what we eat, eating times, isn't it? You know, we're sitting, you know, it comes five o'clock, oh, five o'clock, I must eat. Well, we're hungry or not, well, it's five o'clock, it's eating time, isn't it? You've got to eat. You've got to eat sometime, five o'clock is as good as time as any, or six o'clock, whatever time you regularly eat. Uh, you know, or you go out with people, or you meet with people, you have a coffee here or something there. It's such a social side. And once you decide you're going to stop eating, especially for a few days, every ad on TV screams at you. There's pizza, there's, you know, it's a, you know every bakery you pass, oh, you smell that bacon. Every cafe you go into, and you go to visit your mother and say, do you want a, do you want a fry, son? You know, and you think, well, if you'd asked me that last week, yes, but not this week. You know, that's the way it is. Uh, and so you've got all those smells and the cravings and all. Tell you the truth, it's a mental battle more than it's a physical battle. Once you get over the mental side of it. But if you truly, truly make up your mind, and especially if you feel that God prompts you, if God prompts you, and you truly believe it's God, and you say, yes, Lord, I'm going to do this, there's a grace. There's a grace. You'll find you'll have a strength that you never knew you had. And you'll find that you'll be able to do it. Now, the idea, of course, and this is why we're saying it's prayer and fasting. The idea, of course, is where you can take those Lunch times, those supper times, those tea times. Take those, if you're fasting, to go into your room and pray. Take those moments that you would normally eat and say, well, you know, from, from 5 o'clock to 6 o'clock or whatever time it is you eat or from 8.30 to 9.30, whatever time it is, take that time and say, I'm not going to eat right now at the moment, so I'll take that time and I'll go into my room and pray. Maybe you're... Maybe you're at work and you decide, I'll fast my lunch today. Well, what are you going to do fast? Go into your car, go into another part of the office, go into a cubicle and the ladies or the gents. Spend that time alone with your New Testament, whatever it is, and just pray. Just pray. You may want to read the Gospels again. You may want to, uh, you know, just share a little bit and talk to the Lord and, you know, anything but, Get away from the table. Get away from the table. Don't spend that time just watching TV. Say, this is my time. I've given up this hour of food, so I'm going to spend this hour in devotion. Maybe you may want to put on a praise tape. You may want to listen to your 
your iPod or whatever it is that Clifford's got. You may want to do that and then uh, just spend that time. Otherwise, it's just a hunger strike, isn't it? Otherwise, we're not coupling with prayer, are we? It's just a hunger strike. Now, allow the Holy Spirit to search your heart. I have found from personal experience of fasting that every time I fast, there comes a point in the fast, you may say, well, I'm going to fast for this and this and this, and you may have your little list. You may say, well, there's something really, really pressing. I need an answer there, and you have that on your list. Well, there's someone I need to pray for. I have him or her on the list, and you know, and you go on down. What you'll find is, is that all, that's good, uh, and God will answer those and respect those prayers. But what you'll find is the Holy Spirit will first search your heart. Because fasting is humbling yourself before God. And before God deals with all of those requests and all of those things you want, he'll say, well, but what about you? I need to deal with you first. I need to deal with your heart. And what you'll find is the Holy Spirit will begin to prompt you about things in your life that you probably maybe even didn't even think about or thought or long since dealt with that stuff and suddenly the Holy Spirit puts his big finger and presses and says, what about this? Have you dealt with this first? I'll deal with that, what you're asking for, but you need to deal with this. And, and fasting does that because it humbles us before God. And when you do that, You'll, you'll, you will find things to repent about. I promise you. Things to repent about. And once God has dealt with your heart, and once he's cleaned us up, then he begins to deal with the things we've really been praying about, things that we have sought God for. Now, let me tell you this also. During a fast, whatever length of period it may be, you may not feel particularly spiritual. Because sometimes people get the, the wrong impression that if you go on a fast, that every day you're just going to feel super spiritual. The heavens are going to open, the angels are going to come. Generally not. So don't be disappointed. It's later on you get the benefits. It's later on. This is discipline, this is work. This is, this is denying yourself. This is pushing aside all those desires. And at that time, your flesh will fight you tooth and nail. So it may not be a happy time when you do it. It may not seem that exciting. But you're pressing into God. You're saying, God, I desperately, desperately need you. You get the benefits later. He rewards you openly later for this. God sees your heart. He knows her needs. He will work in her life when he sees that hunger. And this is not earning God's favor, by the way. This is, if God gives us anything, it's only by his grace. We know that, don't we? This is not twisting God's arm up his back and say, hey, look, I'm fasting, you better do this. No, no, this, there's no humility there. This is humbling ourselves before God. And if God's going to do anything, whether we fast or pray or anything, it's going to be because of his grace, because of his mercy, because we don't deserve it anyway, no matter what we do. The Bible says, after you have done all, you're still unprofitable servants. So it's all of his grace. But God wants to see how keen we are. Now, if you've never fasted before, it might be an idea initially just to do one day. One day. Clever 
said a good thing at the start of the service before I came on. He says, now don't undertake something that, that's too big for you at the start and then you break it and then you live under that guilt and condemnation. By the way, don't. Even if you fast, if you do break it, don't then say, I'll never do that again. I, I'm no good. I can't do it. No, just say, well, I'm sorry, Lord, but I'm, I'm, I'm going to do it. And just keep at it till you do it. Keep at it until you do it. So, initially, you might want to do one day. See how that goes. If you're going to say, I'd, love, I'd really love to do three days, well, do one day, and then see how that goes. And if you handle that, then say, well, okay, God, I'm, I'm going to go further. Lord, I want, to, I want to do another day. See how that goes. But don't say, well, unless, unless, unless you feel God's really, really spoken to you, don't say, well, I'm going to do 21 days. Because if God hasn't spoken to you, you, are really, you, fully, you will really, really struggle. It's tough anyway, but you're really going to struggle if it's just your idea. So say, I'll do one day. You can handle that. Listen, come on, one day, 24 hours. Wee bombs, isn't it? Hey. Sorry for the sorry for using that sorry for using that expression, wee bonds. No bonds, please. No no, no bonds. You can have the wee bonds afterwards, but not not during it. A couple more tips, alright? If you fast, your breath will taste and smell far. Sorry to be so blunt about that, but that's just the truth of it. Pullaments are a wonderful invention if you're in company. You think garlic's bad? Try three or four days without eating. Garlic will smell like roses compared to that. <laughs> Toothpaste is a wonderful thing. If you fast for several days, you'll never clean your teeth as many times in a day, apart from the taste of it, but at least being around people, you know. You know what I'm saying, don't you? You don't want to strip the varnish of the chairs, you don't. <laughs> if it's that bad. So, particularly if you're in company. If you're a coffee drinker, Johnny, Clifford, and I'm 10 of you. If you're a coffee drinker, and say you to say, well, I'll go for three days. You will be headachy. You will have headaches. Some of you haven't had coffee for breakfast by 11 o'clock. You've got headaches. And that's when you are eating. So guess what's going to happen when you don't eat? You'll get headachy. Persevere. Shows you how bad that stuff is for you anyway. I didn't get one amen there. <laughs> Not one Amen. <laughs> but anyway if you're a coffee drinker or if you're maybe even a tea drinker you might find you get headaches but that's okay that's your body reacting to all that poison that's in you and all that bad stuff that you take out of Starbucks and all that but anyway moving right along <laughs> you know I'm not a coffee drinker that's why I can say that <laughs> but I'm sure there's things I eat would be as equally as bad I'm sure uh, if you go on particularly a, a longish fast, be careful how you break it. Now there are those who, who, who has broken it big time and, and that's up to them, but generally speaking, be careful how you break it. 
If you go on a longish fast, take some. Right. Right. Give me a wee bit more, please. Thank you. All right. Now, if, where was it? If you're on a longer fast, be careful how you come off it. Take some soup. If you're on a really long fast, the first bowl of soup you have will taste like ambrosia, the food of the gods. <laughs> I mean, it is just be unbelievably good. You will not believe how good soup tastes. So do that for a few days, and then maybe lighter meals and ease your way in. All right. Now I've known others to eat a big steak and felt fine after it. I wouldn't. I wouldn't risk that. I wouldn't chance it. Your stomach has shrunk. Your whole metabolism has slowed down. It takes a little bit of time. You don't want to shock your system too much. So a little bit of time. But here's the one thing: if you decide to fast for seven days, fourteen days, twenty-one days, even forty days, or whatever. Once that fast, you've, you've completed that, even though your hunger has gone in the midst of it, and I know this is true, once you finish that fast, your hunger will come back with a vengeance. I mean, you will be ravenous. And that's why you have to really discipline yourself to just take that soup, and I mean a bowl of it, not the whole pot of it. <laughs> you feel like eating a pot of it. I, I'm... I know what I'm. I know what I'm saying here. <laughs> I've been there, done this. All right. So just be careful. Jesus, after he fasted, the Bible says, and afterwards he hungered. What was the thing the devil tempted with? Turn these stones into bread. You really must be starving by now, Jesus. Go look, look, look. They're round. They look like wee loaves. They're turn them into bread quick. That's what he was doing. Jesus said, no man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. So, just be careful how you do that. I don't know what you're going to do or what you have been doing. We're not putting any stipulation. We're not doing anything like that. We're not making any uh, comments to you. Are you, are you not? It's up to you. But we're trusting that you will, even for a day, uh, or longer if you want to, even maybe missing a meal. Some of you may have got jobs. If you're a physical, working physical labor, you cannot physically work hard labor and fast for a long period of time. You just, your energy levels would just not allow that. So that's understandable. Again, Jesus went into the wilderness, didn't he? Uh, you know, we don't know if he ever did 40 days when he was in the carpenter's shop. I doubt that. But he went into the wilderness where he was doing nothing. Other than, well, he was being head to head with with the Satan himself. That's a big thing. But I mean, physically, labor, nothing. So you have to be careful then how you do this. And so in Isaiah chapter 58, and we'll not have time to read that now, but if you read down through that, you'll see how that God is asking these people to fast for a proper reason, uh, to humble themselves, to be right before God. But notice how also how it also spreads into other people's lives, you know, to feed the poor, to take people the homeless and to, you know, to, to the people who is being defrauded and, and, and even telling the, the bosses to be good to their laborers and all of that stuff. So, so fasting, it's not, it's, it's, yes, it's for a vertical purpose. It's between God and us, but 
the outcome is supposed to be between us and others as well. It's supposed to affect our lives and change us that not only do we want to be closer to God, but we want to help others. You know, and that can run into evangelism, it can run into community, it can run into helping other people. There's so many ways that this can be effective, but we've got to start somewhere and we've got to do it, all right? Make sure that when you fast, take that time that you fasted, that hour when you're eating, to pray, to seek the Lord. And God hears those prayers because he sees that you're desperate, that you really mean business. Amen. All right, amen.